It is good to see you this morning. We're beginning a new series, and I am so excited that I can't even contain it. And and so I want to invite you this morning to find your Bibles. If you're a guest and you don't have a Bible, we'd love to give you a Bible. We believe it's the greatest thing that we could do, which would be invest the Word of God into your life. If you hang around the fellowship for any time at all, you will discover that we love the Bible because it helps us to meet with God and it teaches us what we need to know about the kingdom of God. And so we encourage you, if you need a copy of the scripture and you want the printed copy and not the kind that you find on your phone, then you grab a copy on your way out. They're right here in the back uh, to my left and to most of us to your right. They're blue Bibles. We'd love for you to have a copy. We'd love to give it to you. But if you're a guest, we welcome you. If you're a regular, let me tell you about something that's going to be a little bit different. Today we began a new series called Talking with God. We call it Talking with God Intentionally Not Talking to God because one of the things that we want you to pick up and to really understand is that when we talk about prayer, we're not just talking about a one-way street. We're talking about the idea that talking with God is a two-way street. I talk to God and I hear from God. And that's why we've called it talking with God. And if you're a regular here, you know that typically what we do is we take a passage of the Bible and we look at what it says and we ask, what does that mean for our life? And we'll look at it and say, what does this teach us about God? What does this teach us about people? What's the action happening here? What are the questions that we, we find? And then even lately, we've just walked through verse by verse and paragraph by paragraph an entire section of the book of Acts. Today is going to be a little bit different. We're going to look at a number of different scriptures. And the reason for that is to really set our minds and our hearts right where they need to be in order to launch into this teaching series called Talking with God, it's important that we pull from a whole host, a whole number of different scriptures this morning. So we're still in the Bible. That's still the only place to preach a sermon. But this morning, what I'm saying to you is that we're just going to be at different places throughout the Bible. I guess what I'm trying to say to you is this. If you like to write notes, I'm going to wear you out today. Because we're going to be looking at a lot of different scriptures this morning. But if you have your teaching notes there with you, then you will see in general what we're planning to do. We're answering this question. If God knows everything, why should I pray? For the next three weeks, we're going to be answering that question. I think that's such a profoundly excellent question that I don't want to open it and close it in one day. I really want to give it the space that it needs for us to walk through the different concepts that we need to walk through so that we have a confident approach to answering that question. If God knows everything, why do I need to pray? If he knows who I want to date, why do I need to tell him that? If he knows that I want to raise, why do I need to tell him that? If he knows that I'm caught in sin, why do I need to tell him that? If God knows everything, why should I pray? We're going to spend several weeks answering that question. But before we do, what I want to do, and you see this if you have your teaching notes, I want to make two general biblical important points for all of us to understand about talking with God. Now, these are important points, whether you've been walking with God for 50 years 
or whether you're not yet walking with God, these are important things for us to understand no matter where we are in our spiritual journey, where we are on the spiritual spectrum. These are important things for us to comprehend. The first one is this. Many of us struggle with our prayer life. I want to start by saying that right from the front. Right from the beginning of this sermon series, I want for us to comprehend that perhaps we're not the only one in the worship center or online this morning that struggles with really being about the prayer life that we know we should be. In other words, if I asked everybody to stand up and answer one right after the other, is your prayer life where it should be? Probably a lot of us, if we were honest and we were to stand up one right after the other and start answering the question, we would say, honestly, it's not. You know, I pray some, but I don't pray enough. I pray a lot, but I don't pray about the stuff that I should be praying about. If I asked you, is it where it needs to be? Probably a lot of us would say no. And I want for you to to understand this. We're not the only ones to struggle with prayer. If you make notes this morning, would you write down Matthew chapter 26? There's a story in Matthew chapter 26 of Jesus being at his most one of his most difficult places that he's been in his life on earth. And he he knows that the cross is before him and he knows that he is about to be arrested and brutalized and then crucified for our sins. He knows that that is what's coming. And he's got his disciples with him and they're in this place called the Garden of Gethsemane. You can go there today. It's still there. You can still go and visit it. And he's with his disciples in the Garden of Gethsemane. And he wants to get alone with the Father and spend some time in prayer. So he has his disciples and he says, listen, I want you to wait here. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to go up a little ways. And I want you to stay here. And I want you to spend some time praying. And he goes away. And when he comes back, he doesn't catch his disciples on their knees before God, humbly praying and expressing themselves to God. What he finds is a group of disciples asleep. They're snoozing. Now, just understand this, all right, to put it in context. They have just received an assignment from the mouth of God himself, from the Son of God saying, I want you to spend these next moments in prayer. And they know that something big is coming out. The disciples rarely fully comprehend what's going on in the moment. But they sense something big is happening. They know something big is happening. Their master, the Lord Jesus Christ himself, has said, I want you to spend some time praying. Jesus goes away. He comes back. They completely blew the moment. They're asleep. And so he wakes them up. He's like, what are you guys doing? I asked you to pray. He goes back, comes back. Are they praying? No, they're sawing logs. They're asleep. And I say this to you because I want you to understand, even before Jesus was crucified and these original disciples who became apostles that the church was built upon, they also struggled with their prayer life. Now, I want to encourage you to write down also this scripture reference. This is in James chapter 4. And I want you to understand that not only did the disciples struggle in their prayer life, but 
James, who's writing a letter to Christians in the New Testament church, writes the book of James, and he, he is correcting the believers because of their inability to pray correctly. I don't want to say he's criticizing them, but he is correcting them. He is exhorting them to correct their prayer life. And what he's doing is he's talking about the source of conflict. You know, just like in your household or just like in your family or extended family or in your relationships, there's conflict. Even inside the kingdom of God, even inside the local church, there's conflict. And James is addressing that conflict. And so in James chapter 4, starting in verse 2, he, he begins to address the church about this. He says, you desire... And you do not have, so you kill. You covet, and you cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. What's he saying? He's saying you, you want something, and you don't have it, and so you start fighting with the people around you because you covet what you don't have. You do not have because you do not ask. James is saying you need to spend time praying. If you see that you lack something, express it to God. Spend time in prayer. Don't fight with your neighbor because they have something. Spend time praying. You don't have because you don't ask. And you don't ask, you ask and you don't receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. We could spend a whole morning on that scripture, but the point I'm trying to make with you this morning is to help you to understand that just like we would have to be honest and and the majority of us say, listen, I have a prayer life, but it's not where it needs to be. That has been true for all of history from the early church to this moment today. The disciples struggled with prayer. James is addressing people who are struggling with prayer. And I don't say that to you this morning to pacify you. I know that it would be a tendency perhaps for some of us to say, well, if I'm not doing it right now, And I haven't done it right in the past. And the people that James was talking to wasn't doing it right. And Jesus' own disciples in the Garden of Gethsemane couldn't get it right. I guess I'm just not going to get it right and I should stop trying. That is not the reason that, that we're illuminating the reality that lots of people struggle with prayer. It's so that you won't lose hope. It's so that you won't feel unnecessary shame and guilt and, and get to this desperate place where you don't feel like you should continue moving forward in prayer because you don't feel like you'll ever get it right. Listen, we all struggle with our prayer life. Now, some of us in here, praise God, you're in a season of life where you are on it. You are spending time before God and you are in prayer and we celebrate that. And quite frankly, we want to learn from you because all of us go through those seasons where our prayer life is strong and our prayer life is weak. But I want to say to you this morning as we begin this teaching series on talking with God, we struggle with our prayer life. Now, the second thing I want to say to you is that we don't have to perfect it before we begin it. Man, I want to release you this morning of you feeling like you've got to master this thing. You've got to fully understand it and do it incredibly well before you start doing it. I don't want you to think that at all. Listen, prayer is one of those things where if you feel like you're not going to start it until you perfect it, you will literally never start it. We just have to start getting into the presence of God and talking with God. 
In fact, I have a friend who's in this church. And one of the things that she set for herself as a spiritual goal is the ability to pray out loud. Now, she's been walking with God for years. She's been seeking God for years. She's been praying in private, but she's never been able to pray out loud. And that's one of her goals right now. Listen, you don't have to be perfect at it to do it. I want to share with you the scripture this morning in Romans chapter 8. Paul is writing to the church at Rome. And he's sharing a whole lot of different, really important theological points. But one of the things that he mentions to them is what happens when we are trying to express ourselves to God and we can't. Have you ever been there before? Have you ever been at the place in your life where there's something really pressing on your heart? And sometimes we don't even really know exactly what it is. And we couldn't articulate it to a person standing or sitting in front of us. So there's no way that we can articulate it to God. And maybe, maybe there's just been some burden in your heart. And you don't know how to say that to God. Or maybe there's been a time in your life where you've had this deep urge to be a person of prayer. But when you go to pray, you just don't know what to pray. I don't know if you've ever been there before. But I think a lot of us have who have been on the journey of faith for a season. God, I want to pray for 30 minutes, but I don't know what to talk to you about for 30 minutes. God, I have this thing going on, but I don't even know how to give words to it. Paul writes to the church at Rome, and he really says a profound thing to them about that. And I want to share this scripture with you because it really articulates perfectly, better than I could ever, that we don't have to have it perfect in order to start talking with God. This is, uh, this is in Romans chapter 8. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, praise God. The Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is in the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Now listen, if you're new to the faith, if you, if you don't have a lot of experience or practice reading the Bible, that verse may have been very confusing for you. And so let me just summarize what this means. There are times in our human existence that we don't know how to pray or what to pray for. And because we are in Christ and the Spirit of God lives inside of us, the Scripture says that when we hit those moments in life where we don't even know how or what to pray, the Spirit of God steps forward and intercedes on our behalf and intercedes for us. So the God who calls us to pray is also the God who empowers us to pray. I want you to understand that today. Because as we launch into the many, many, many weeks of understanding talking with God, I want, I want for us to move forward with those two thoughts. I want you to know that not everybody has it together in their prayer life. And I want you to know that it doesn't have to be perfect to really start doing it and it really being meaningful for you. So here's what we're going to do over the next several weeks One of the things that we're going to do is we're going to answer the question, why is talking with God important? Why is prayer a fundamental part 
of my life and your life as a believer in Christ. The second thing that we're going to do is we're going to look in Scripture and find heroes of the faith who did it and did it well, and we're going to glean from them. We're going to learn from them. We're going to look at people who prayed and when they prayed and how they prayed and what they prayed about and their attitude of prayer. And, and the third thing that we're going to do is we are going to, we are going to set a clear and biblical expectation of what to expect when we pray. If we get the courage to step into the presence of Almighty God and talk with the creator of the universe, what should we expect when that happens? That's the three things that we're going to do during this teaching series called Talking with God. And the first thing that we're going to do is answer this question. Actually, over the next three weeks, we're going to be answering this question. If God knows everything, why should I pray? And I got to tell you that I answer this question often, maybe weekly, but at least monthly. In fact, if I had a dollar for every time I answer this question, I could probably pay off my mortgage. This is a huge question that people are asking. People who are believers are asking this question. People who have not yet decided to follow Jesus, but they're exploring the faith. Those types of people are asking this question. And, and, and this question comes from a lot of different places. And so this morning, we're going to begin to answer this question. If God knows everything, why pray? If you have your notes, you see that we're going to do that in three ways. The first way that we're going to do this, if you're making notes, is we are going to verify an assumption that's made in that question. Now, when you ask that question, you may have never said it out loud. Maybe you've thought it in your head, felt it in your heart. But when you ask that question, if God knows everything, why should I pray? You are making a couple of assumptions. And I want to verify one of those assumptions for you this morning. Specifically, does God know everything? And I know that for a lot of us who grew up in church or we've been going to church for a long time, you may be looking at me and you're thinking, Pastor Zach, that is so Captain Obvious that God knows everything. Why would you spend five minutes developing that idea? Here's why. Because I believe that many of us simply believe what we're told and we've never found it in the scripture. A lot of us, just re-say things that we've heard either pastors say or Bible teachers say, but we've never found it for ourselves in the word of God. Have you ever done a Bible study looking specifically for verses in the Bible that says God knows everything? And there's some people who question whether or not God knows everything. And so this morning, what I want to do, you know what I think, because I want to verify the assumption. I want to share with you some verses of Scripture this morning that will verify the assumption that the Bible clearly presents to us a one true living God that knows all things. So I'm going to do that in four different ways this morning. And the first one is to say to you that God has full knowledge of all things created. The Bible teaches that God has full knowledge of all things that have been created. And this is where I'm going to have you write in a lot of verses. You can go back and study these later on if you like. But in 1 John chapter 3, verse 20, 
the author of 1 John is talking about the role of our heart. And sometimes our heart is convicted and sometimes our heart condemns us. And so the author is talking about the heart and what happens when the heart condemns us. And in 1 John chapter 3, verse 20, the author says, If our hearts condemn us, we know that God is greater than our hearts and he knows everything. So the scripture says, he knows everything. Speaking about God. And there's a side note to that that's really encouraging, especially in a context where we're so driven by our heart or our feelings or our emotions. Did you see what the scripture says? And if something's happening in our heart, take good courage because God is bigger than our heart. God is more precise than what's in our heart. Sometimes whatever's happening on the inside is what we think reality is. But God's word says that God is greater than our hearts. And God knows everything. God knows all things. Matthew chapter 10 verse 30, if you're making notes this morning. Jesus is talking to his disciples And he's actually teaching them on how to not worry, but to be focused on the things that they need to be focused on in life. Because you know how you can get distracted in life? Like you're really focused on your goals or the the thing that God has laid before you and you're doing good for two months and then all of a sudden you get distracted and you move your focus and now you're chasing this rabbit again and God's got to bring you back in your focus. And Jesus is talking to his disciples about keeping first the things that are first, the kingdom of God. And he says to them, you don't have to worry about your life. And he says, these two birds, if one of those birds were to fall in death, it would not happen without God knowing it. And then he says something incredibly intimate. He says, even the number of hairs on your head, God knows Think about that. God doesn't just know this cosmic stuff that keeps the earth in the right spot. Like God knows intimate details about me. He knows the number of hairs on our head. And that's a pretty profound thing to think about, isn't it? God has full knowledge of all things created. Secondly, God has knowledge of the secret things that no one knows about. Do you know that the sea creatures that have not yet been discovered, God already knows about them? Do you know that the breakthroughs that we will experience that are secret to us now but in a hundred years will be commonplace. God already knows about them. Let me share with you some scriptures. In Hebrews chapter 4, verse 13, it says, Nothing in all of creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. If you're making notes, that's Hebrews chapter 4, verse 13. That means... That God doesn't just see the public things that you and I can see and have the ability to collectively process all of that information and have knowledge of that. That means the hidden things, the things that people don't know about, the things that, that we don't share with people, everything is laid bare 
and made obvious to God who is the creator. Psalm chapter 44 verse 21 says, God knows even the secrets of the heart. Now, that hits differently for some of us. For some of us, we're excited about that. And for some of us, we're terrified of that. Because we might have some secrets in our heart that we're not proud of, that we're ashamed of, that we struggle with, that we're uncomfortable with anybody knowing them. That's why there are secrets in the heart and not public knowledge. And so when we think about the fact that God knows all things, even the secrets of the heart, we may squirm a little bit. Like that might make us uncomfortable a little bit, but some of us who have tasted the grace and mercy of God, and we know that God works things to good, and he doesn't seek to harm us, but to redeem us and to sanctify us and to love us and to grow us. We celebrate that God sees even the secret things of the heart. It doesn't threaten us. It frees us. It gives us the sense of celebration that there's nothing in my life that God isn't fully aware of. We want to verify the assumption that God knows all things. We're just surveying the word of God. We're just looking at scripture after scripture that tells us that God has full knowledge of all created things. God has full knowledge of hidden things. But even beyond knowledge... The scripture also teaches that God has full understanding of all things. And you know, there's a big difference between having knowledge of something and understanding something. I share with people all of the time, I have knowledge about cars. I know if I push a specific button on my key, the door unlocks. And I sit in it, I put the key in the ignition and turn it that way and it comes on. You see, I know a lot about cars. I put it in reverse, it goes this way. I put it in drive, wherever I point it, that's the direction that it goes. And there's this pedal on the floor. If I push it, it goes there more quickly. And there's another pedal next to it. If I push it, it stops going there quickly. You see, I have knowledge of a car. But you would never want me to work on your car. Because I don't understand them. And I want you to think this morning about the difference between knowledge and understanding. The scripture says God has full knowledge of all things created. And he has full knowledge of the hidden things. Even the hidden things in our heart. But he also has full understanding. He doesn't just know they exist. He understands them. David, King David is talking to his son Solomon. David says to Solomon... For the Lord searches every heart and understands every desire and every thought. Now, I don't know what desire and thought you've got running through your body these days. And I don't know if you're trying to hide it from God or not. But I want you to understand that God sees and understands exactly where we're at and what's going on in our life. Psalm 147 verse 5 says, Great, great is our Lord and mighty in power. His understanding has no limit. He has full knowledge of all things created. He has full knowledge of the secret things. He has full understanding of the things created. And last thing before we move on, God has knowledge even 
of future things. The psalmist is writing a psalm in in Psalm 139. And he is celebrating the intimate knowledge that God has of him. And he says, even before the word is on my tongue, you know it completely, O God. Even before the word is on my tongue, you know it, O God. In every place, in every relationship, in every circumstance, God is aware of who we are, what's going on inside of us, and the direction that we're heading. So this morning, I want to verify the assumption in this question. If God knows all things, why pray? We want to verify that assumption that God, in fact, knows all things. And I share that so that that can be a source of confidence for those of you who are followers of Christ. And for those of you who are exploring the faith, I share that with you so that you have a clear understanding of what the Bible teaches about the person and the character of God. God is an almighty God with full knowledge and full understanding of all things created. The second way that we're going to answer this question this morning, we've dealt with one assumption, we verified it. Now we want to deal with another assumption and we want to debunk it. Because in this sentence, in this question, there are two assumptions. The first one is that God knows everything. But the second assumption is that we pray in order to inform God of information. And I want to crush that assumption this morning. I want you to change your mind this morning if you think that the purpose of prayer is to educate and inform God about the stuff that's going on in your life I want to liberate you from that today. The purpose of prayer is not to inform God of things. As we just established, God already knows the things. The purpose of prayer is not to inform God. But I would argue that the purpose of prayer is to transform me. And if you think about this question, it does carry with it that assumption, right? That the purpose of praying is to teach God what's real and true and going on in my life. If God knows everything, why pray? Is infused with the assumption that the purpose of prayer is to inform God of things. It is not. And we're going to talk about over the next two weeks, then what is the purpose of prayer? But I want to treat it and address it here just for a moment. If you're making notes, would you write down Matthew chapter 11, verse 28? Here's a perfect scripture that talks to us about the reality that we don't come into the presence of God to inform God. We come into the presence of God to be transformed. Jesus is talking to his disciples. And this is a, I got to tell you, this is a scripture that I've revisited over and over and over in my life. And if you've ever been through stressful seasons of life or difficult seasons of life or tired seasons of life, oh, my friend, write this one down. Jesus is talking to his disciples and he says, come to me, all who are weary all who are burdened, and I will give you rest. Isn't that beautiful? 
Isn't that a gorgeous promise from the Lord Jesus Christ himself? He says, come to me. Come and spend time with me. And I will give you rest. What if the goal of being in the presence of God and talking with God, praying, isn't to teach God what's happening in my life? What if it is to build into my life the things that I so desperately need that I can't get anywhere else except for being in the presence of God? So we want to debunk this assumption that prayer is for the purpose of teaching God things. And we're going to address this one much later in the series. But if you're making notes, jot down Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. Paul is writing to the church at Philippi. And he's talking to them about living stress and anxiety in their life. And he said, listen, uh, do not be anxious about anything. Because even in the New Testament church, people struggle with stress. They struggle with anxiety. They struggle with the dynamics and the circumstances of life and the demands of life and the difficulties of life. And Paul knows that. So Paul's writing them in this letter and he's saying, listen, don't be anxious about anything. But in everything with prayer and supplication, make your request to God known. So it's okay to pray for stuff. Paul even commands it. Make your supplications and prayers and requests to God. Make them known. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Paul is telling the church at Philippi that one of the primary reasons for praying, making your supplications and your requests known to God, isn't to teach God something as though he is absent of information. It is to benefit you. Because the peace of God, which cannot be fully articulated, it's beyond comprehension, will then guard my heart and my mind in Christ Jesus. So how do we answer this question? If God knows everything, why pray? Well, the first thing that we did was we verified the assumption that God, in fact, knows all things. He has knowledge of all created things. He has knowledge of all hidden things. He has full understanding, and he even knows what's ahead. Oh, Lord, before the word is even on my tongue, you know it completely, oh, God. So we verified that assumption. We debunked the assumption that the purpose for prayer is to teach God things or to inform God. And if you're a good note taker, you know there's one thing left. What is it? Here's what it is. In order to answer this question, we need to check where our attitude is at. And I want to explain that. We need to check our attitude when we ask this question. Now, I've already said to you, I think this is a brilliant question. I think it's an important question. I think it is such a good question that we're going to spend three weeks answering it. However, I think it's also important to say, why would I ask that question? 
Where does that question come from in me? Because there's about five different places that a person might ask that question. And I would argue this morning that depending on where you are asking that question depends on what your next steps are. Let me explain what I mean by that. Some of us ask, if God knows all things, why pray? From what I call the heart of a seeker. Now, every week, people come into the, the building and, and participate in our worship services, and they are not devoted followers of Jesus. And we have them here today. We had them in the first service, and some of you are what we would call a seeker. And let me just say a word of welcome. Some of you online worshiping with us today, you are a spiritual seeker, which means You believe in the existence of God. You're searching out the Christian faith. You are poking and prodding and saying, wait a second, why should I believe this stuff? Why should I pledge my allegiance to Jesus and give up two extra hours of sleep on a Sunday morning to come and worship here and give tithes and offerings and spend time studying the Bible and yield myself to the transforming power of God. Why should I do all of those things? Some of us, that's where we're at. We haven't yet committed to Christ, but we're seeking the truth. And we're asking this question. Wait a second, Pastor Zach. You said God knows all things. Then why should I tell him what I need? Why should I tell him what I want? Why should I tell him what's wrong with me? If he knows all things, he should already know that. And some of us have this question coming from the heart of a seeker. And if that's you, praise God that you are seeking truth and you're asking good, hard questions that need to be answered. I will give you one caution. The caution is this. If you wait to have all your questions answered before you give your life to Jesus, you'll never do it. Because you cannot exhaust all of the questions of the kingdom of God. Now, I don't mean don't ask them. And I don't mean to sidestep this question. It is a great question for you to ask. But the most important question for you, if you're a seeker, is, did Jesus rise from the dead? And if he did, listen, join the family and then start asking these questions. That's really the fundamental question for you. Did Jesus conquer the dead? And did he conquer the grave? And is he alive today? If Jesus Christ conquered the grave, you need to surrender to him today. Now, I'm convinced that he did. That's a whole other sermon series. But listen, if you're a seeker here today and you're asking the question, if God knows everything, why pray? I applaud you for asking the question. But that's not the only place that we ask the question. Some of us are asking this question from spiritual exhaustion. And maybe you're here today and you are a follower of Jesus, and you've been holding on to your faith, and you've been trying to be faithful to God, but you have just quite frankly been walking through a brutal season of life, perhaps, and you're broken, and you're tired, and you're exhausted, 
And you don't ask it as a seeker. You ask it as somebody that you feel like spiritually you've just ran 150 miles and you are sucking wind. And you're going, why should I keep praying if God knows everything? And it's from a place of exhaustion and fatigue. And if that's you, may I say to you, rest. Because intellectually we can answer this question for you, but that still doesn't fix the problem that you are spiritually out of breath. And so we can supply the answer, but your need is greater than the intellectual understanding of if God knows all things, why pray? You need to rest. uh, Another place from which we might ask this question is from a place of rebellion. And you might just be looking for a reason to rebel against God today. And this might be one in a litany of questions or thought processes that you think is going to give you permission to stop practicing the spiritual disciplines. Can I just say this to you? If you check in on your attitude and you reflect on where you're at and you say, you know what? It's not that I'm a seeker and it's not that I'm spiritually exhausted. I'm just, you know, I'm just honestly looking for a reason to rebel. You need to repent. And it is my privilege and duty and obligation today to call you to repentance. If you are asking this question so that you can stray further away from God, I call you to repentance today to turn from that perspective and come back to God. But if you're asking from a spirit of rebellion, I do not applaud that. I call you and plead with you to repent. I, I plead with you to turn from that this morning. Some people ask this question from a spirit, not of rebellion, but a spirit of laziness. Have you ever been lazy before? And you know that something's important and you know that you should be doing it. You just don't wanna. You just don't wanna. And maybe today you, you suffer from that. You suffer from spiritual laziness. And you say, well, there's no reason to pray because God knows everything already. It is my privilege and duty to say to you the exact thing I, I just said. You need to turn from that. You need to put first things first. And even if you need to come to this altar and plead before God to give you the energy, to give you the passion, to crucify spiritual laziness in your life. But if you're asking this question from spiritual laziness, you need to do something with that this morning. And the last one, and and we'll pray and close, is maybe you're asking this from the attitude of a committed disciple of Jesus who's just confused. Maybe this is a question that you have that really needs to be answered as you really honestly seek to step forward in your spiritual life and grow your faith. You want to be a good disciple of Jesus and you know that prayer is important and you believe that God knows all things. But when those two truths collide, it creates this question, wait, then why pray? And if that's where you're at, if you're a committed disciple, just confused about prayer and the purpose of it, I can't wait to take this journey with you 
It's going to be a great series. And I'm trusting God that the power of the word of God is going to rewire how you think about prayer, which is then going to change how you respond to prayer. I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet if you would. and We're going to close this morning. I do want to invite anybody that needs to uh, either receive Jesus as Lord and Savior for the first time or if you're here. And just in all honesty between you and God, if you realize that you do have a spirit of rebellion or a spirit of laziness and you need to deal with that, I want to encourage you to, to not just hear me but to really respond to that today. I want to give you this moment, give you this time to respond to God. Would you bow with me for prayer? Would you identify if you were to just out loud ask this question right now where you would be asking it from? Even those of you brothers and sisters and friends who are online with us right now, would you ask that question? Where does this question come from? It's a great question. It's an important one. It's one we're going to answer. Does it come from a place of seeking? Does it come from a place of exhaustion? Does it come from a place of rebellion or a place of laziness or a place of confusion? ask you this morning to make a commitment to do two things. I want to ask you to approach this series with a sense of wonder and awe. And for those of us who have been following God for a long time, specifically to approach this series not assuming that we already know all the answers. And that I want to ask us all to make a commitment to yield to what the Word of God teaches us about talking with Him. Father, we love you this morning. We thank you for a wonderful and glorious day that has been filled with your presence. We even think back to our time of singing and the beautiful idea that all of creation worships you. Thank you for that reality. Thank you for the accuracy of the word of God. Thank you for the gift and the ability to talk with you. We are truly excited about this series. We give thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.